Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and your narrator, Springheel Jack. And uh, today I will be bringing you coverage of one of the most notable crimes in Finnish history. Um, I was looking, admittedly, I was looking up Children of Bodom, the band, not having any knowledge about what I was about to uh, stumble upon, because I'm ignorant. But, in searching for Children of Bodom and the concert information from 2012 when they played in California, which is what I was looking for, I found something almost that I wish I hadn't, but I'm glad I did because it's fucking fascinating and it's terrifying. So, without any further ado, I bring you the unsolved fucking Christ-awful case of the murdered children of Bodom Lake. Coincidentally, the, the uh, murder that inspired the band name, Children of Bodom. Funny. The 1960 murder of three teenagers who were camped at Lake Bodom, which is a rural area located just outside of Helsinki, is one of the most famous murder cases in all of Finnish history. Notably, not only for its brutality, um, in an area where seemingly random murders are extremely rare, but the unsolved status of the crime and the odd details surrounding the investigation are all factors that continue to capture the public's interest, if not only in Finland, but around the world. The continued popularity of the case could also be attributed, at least in part, to Finnish heavy metal band Children of Bodom. The group originated in Espoo, which is a small town very close to where Lake Bodom is located, and took their name from the murder case. It was June 4th, 1960, when four teenagers embarked upon a camping trip along the shores of Lake Bodom. 18-year-old Nils Wilhelm Gustafsson, Sipo Boisman, accompanied their 15-year-old girlfriends, Anja McKee and Myla Jorkland, on the trip. Sorry about the names, guys. I'm trying my best here. By dawn, three of the four teenagers would be brutally stabbed and bludgeoned to death with a blunt object believed to have either been a rock or a pipe while they were asleep in their tent, leaving one survivor suffering from a brutal concussion, severe facial fractures, uh, and a stab wound to the head, and he had very little recollection of the events that had transpired within the early morning hours of June the 5th, but initially described a black cloaked man with bright red eyes standing over him. He, keep in mind, he also had... His orbital lobe was fucking crushed, so it's a miracle he had any memory. It's a miracle he lived. But you'll find out that a lot of people blamed him later on. Two young boys hiking near the lake stumbled upon the grisly scene after spotting motorcycles belonging to the two male victims at the campsite, and they wanted to get a closer look. The boys saw a man walking away from the scene. Two of the victims... Gustafsson and his girlfriend were found outside of the tent, while the other two teens were discovered inside the collapsed tent. Gustafsson was transported to a Red Cross station for treatment, while investigators called upon the general public to assist in disturbing the crime scene in order to help find the possible murder weapons and other artifacts of interest. Ugh. They breached this investigation. As you'll find with a lot of unsolved murders, this one was royally fucked. Um, they called in their equivalent of the National Guard to aid in looking for evidence. They called in citizens to canvas the area, which it was well-intentioned, but it was the poor choice to make. 
they essentially did was allow an entire crowd of people to just come and disturb the crime scene before they'd really fully documented everything or before they'd uh, examined all the possible different routes the killer could have come in and uh, could have crept up on them, could have left before they could figure out what was stolen. Because they did have stuff uh, missing from their persons, but until later on they weren't really sure what. So, the killer had injured the victims not from inside the tent, like you might imagine. Um, this is admittedly why I hate canvas tents, because he had attacked the occupants from outside with a knife and an unidentified blunt instrument through the sides of the tent. I always wondered that about slasher movies, why they're in the tent and they think they're safe and then the killer lets himself in instead of just fucking falling on the tent and collapsing it around him, which is exactly what this guy did seemingly. Uh, the murder weapons have never been located. The killer took several items, like I was saying, which the detectives couldn't rationalize at all, which included the keys to the motorcycles, which had been left behind. Uh, Gustafsson's shoes were taken as well, but they were later discovered partially hidden like 500 meters from the murder site, as if he hid them from Gustafsson and not like he was trying to hide them from the police. The cops did not cordon off the site nor record the details of the scene, uh, which was later seen as a massive fuck-up and they almost immediately allowed a crowd of people and officers and other people to trample around and disturb the evidence. Uh, the mistake was further exasperated by calling in soldiers to assist with the search around the lake for missing items, some of which were still never found. Jorkland, who was Gustafsson's girlfriend, was found undressed from the waist down and was lying on top of the tent, and she had suffered the worst injuries out of everybody. She was stabbed multiple times after death, whilst the other two teenagers were slain with a little more humanity, but still brutal. Gustafsson, the sole survivor, was found lying also on top of the tent with his girlfriend. There have been a shitload of suspects during the investigation of the Lake Bodum murders, but the most notable of the, su the, <laughs> the suspects are, and the list is extensive, I mean, like, you've probably been considered as a suspect in this fucking case. Um, I read something where they accused the Zodiac Killer. They accused the Yorkshire, uh, whatever the fuck his, his nickname was, the Yorkshire Killer. They accused everybody because they had nothing. Many local people suspected a man named Carl Geilstrom, who was a kiosk keeper and known to be hostile towards campers. But police didn't really find any hard evidence to link him to the actual murders. They were skeptical of the supposed confession he was said to have made because they considered him disturbed. Um, he gave a confession to somebody when he was just pissed drunk and his wife corroborated an alibi that he never gave but she gave an alibi to the police on his behalf because he was incriminating himself for something that didn't make any sense and the police didn't believe him at first but he was pretty adamant that he did it while he was drinking piece of shit he was a piece of shit don't get me wrong but he was probably not not the guy that did it. So Kiosk Man was a notoriously harsh man who ran a nearby kiosk and allegedly hated campers, but he was notorious for going so far as to throw rocks at passing children and telling them to fuck off. And during a drunken conversation with his neighbor, Geilstrom confessed to the Lake Boda murders repeatedly. However, the police did no further investigation after questioning his wife instead of him, who claimed that he had been asleep at home during the time of the killings. Geilstrom had also been seen filling in a well in front of his in his front yard only days after the murder. 
Many people believe this is where he may have hidden the murder weapons and other missing items. On a side note, I've always thought it would be kind of funny to uh, get a mannequin and then bury it in your, be- in your front yard in the middle of the night and just see, like, who calls the cops. Why? No reason. I just thought it was funny. However, the police, just to be thorough, did search the property and they did not uncover anything incriminating. They never found anything. And, uh, Carl Geilstrom still garners suspicion, though, in the minds of a lot of people that are obsessed with this case, and there is no shortage. In 1969, he drowned himself in Lake Boda. And later, on his deathbed, his wife took back her alibi statement she recanted. She claimed to have been terrified of him, and that he had threatened to kill her if she told police that he had not actually been home that night. After Geilstrom's wife's testimony took him off the official suspects list, though, the suspicion turned to another man. And, uh, let me just say, this guy has the greatest last name. And this man's name is Hans Assman. A-S-S-M-A-N-N. Assman. Who was an alleged KGB spy and former Nazi with a very fortunate name. They say it's unfortunate. I disagree. Hans Assman appeared on the police's radar the morning of June 6, 1960, the day after the incident. The Assman came into the Helsinki Surgical Hospital, fingernails black with dirt, and his clothes covered in red stains. Hospital staff said that he was acting very nervous and aggressive, and he'd even feigned unconsciousness. That's weird. Other than brief questioning, the police did not pursue the Assman any further, claiming him, too, to have a solid alibi. Because of this, they never took his stained clothing in for examination despite the doctor's insistence that it was blood. They ignored the doctor and didn't examine it. Aside from his suspicious hospital visit, the ass man raised some other red flags in regards to the case. After seeing a news report about the murders in which they released the young boy's description of the man they saw leaving the crime scene, that was the birdwatching boys, the ass man cut his long blonde hair, a characteristic that Nils Wilhelm Gustafsson later corroborated about the killer while under hypnosis, uh, Dr. Jormo Paolo, who had been one of the doctors to initially examine the ass man, went on to write three books about him and his connection to the murders. Former detective Mati Palero even went so far as to connect him with five other unsolved har- homicides. Many consider the ass man's potential political connections as the reason for his dismissal. Thanks to the multiple sources and literature alluding to his guilt, the ass man was the public's favorite suspect up until 2004. When, seemingly arbitrarily, the investigators decided to reopen the case after 44 years of it being cold, claiming that more advanced technology had uncovered new blood evidence found on a pair of shoes. Uh, found, on, found on the pair of hidden shoes. And the sudden testimony of a woman claiming to have been camping nearby, although she never came forward during the initial investigation. Coincidentally, the new DNA analysis led to the arrest of a surprising suspect. The lone survivor, Mr. Gunderson. According to the prosecution, a drunken Gunderson killed his girlfriend, Mela Jorkland, in a fit of a jealous rage. This was thought to explain the severity of her injuries and the fact that her body had been found outside the tent. They believed that he had gotten into a tussle with the other boy, and that was how he sustained his facial injury. I don't know. He then killed the other two teens in an attempt to dispose of the witnesses and inflicted his other brutal injuries. I don't think... I don't know if I've ever been mad enough to crush my own orbital lobe. It's fucking mad, man. I don't know. That's a lot of fucking masochism. 
The new witness, who had only come forward a year prior for a documentary interview, claimed that the two teen boys had entered her tent and that Gustafsson had been behaving aggressively. What? So they were partying with this random bitch now? The defense claimed that Gustafsson had no motive for the crime and that the injury he sustained were impossible to inflict, inflict upon himself. I think so. I believe that. After being initially convicted, found guilty, Gustafsson only served one year of his life sentence after successfully appealing and being granted his freedom. Despite his acquittal, he too is still seen as guilty by most people. This fucking ruined his life. As if his life wasn't ruined already. During his trial, when he was asked by a reporter how he knew he was innocent, if he couldn't remember anything, he simply replied, I'm innocent, and that's it. With Gustafsson cleared of all charges and most other suspects dead, it seems as though the children of Bodom will never have their killer brought to justice. As this half-a-century-long mystery marches on, it has settled into local legend. It's become the cautionary tale for multiple generations and will likely be told around campfires for many more to come, probably at the banks of the very lake that hosted the bloodshed in the first place. It seeps into pop culture, too, and it begins to make the trip across foreign waters uh, in the form of the internet articles and horror films. Lake Bodum will begin streaming exclusively on Shudder on May 18th. This film is an original and elegant window into how the case has affected Finland's contemporary folklore, and if any part of the case is intriguing to you, I highly recommend checking it out. I was not paid to say that. It's actually exactly that. So, there was another suspect that came up after the murder, and that was... He was, um... How to describe him? Well, okay, there were a number of suspects, including Polly Luoma, a runaway from a local work department, which... I believe that means he was like a work release program con, or the equivalent of an American work release con in Finland. He was later cleared of the murders after his alibi was confirmed. There was another one of Penti Soinhen. He was also a suspect for the crime, and he was already convicted of a number of violent crimes as well as property damages, and he allegedly admitted to committing the murders while he was in prison. There was an amount of skepticism about Sondheim's guilt, but the truth would never be known because he hanged himself at a prison transport station in 69. Valdemar Geilstrom was another prime suspect in the Lake Bodum murders. Geilstrom was the kiosk keeper, and he was known for his aggressive behavior and apparently confessed to the murders before his death as a result of drowning by suicide in the Lake Bodum in 69. Although no evidence was found to indict Geilstrom in the murders, his wife did admit to his alibi for a crime being a lie since her husband had threatened to kill her if she told the truth about his absence the night of the murders. None of the suspects in the multiple murder case were ever convicted, and the case remains open. Poor bastard. Oh, man, that sucks that Nils Gustafsson was arrested. So, a little bit about his trial, which started on August the 4th, 2005. The prosecution called for life imprisonment for him. It argued that the re-examination of old evidence used modern techniques such as DNA profiling raised suspicion towards him. The defense argued that the murders were the work of one or more outsiders and that Gustafsson would have been incapable of killing three people given the extent of his injuries. And finally, on October 7, 2005, he was acquitted of all charges. On his acquittal, the state of Finland paid him a meager sum of 44,900 euro for his mental suffering caused by the time incarcerated. In October of 2005, a district court found Gustafsson not guilty of all charges against him. That's fucking awful. They just put him in jail. God, I hate that shit. It's terrifying.
want to get a little bit more into the ass man. Days after the murder, the ass man appeared at the hospital, disheveled and erratic, they said. His blackened fingernails were covered in a viscous red, red substance that also covered his clothing. He lied to the doctors about his identity twice, repeatedly played unconscious throughout his stay there. Why? Maybe to listen in on the doctors? I don't know. It's been alleged that his clothing appeared similar to the ones stolen from the suspects, and uh, as witnesses leaving the crime scene by the two boys... Oh, my mistake. It, it appears that he was wearing what was described by the two boys coming up to the crime scene when they were speaking about the man leaving the crime scene. The two witnesses said that he was wearing something that looked like the man leaving the crime scene when they showed up. Additionally, after the murder suspect's description was released by the local media, the ass man was said to have cut his hair in order to bear no similarities between himself and the murderer. And uh, I found this picture online that made all the hair on my asshole stand up, and it is that of an unidentified man who appeared at the funeral for the teenagers murdered at Bodom Lake. And he bears a striking resemblance to the police sketch. And uh, they interviewed uh, family, friends, teachers, everybody about who this guy was. And he's right in the crowd at the funeral. He's like four rows back, and they have no idea who he is. That scared me. Uh, the Assman claimed to have been affiliated with the KGB, and according to the Assman, he'd worked with the German army under the Führer, Adolf Hitler, even serving as a guard for Auschwitz, but later fled the SS when he became involved with the Jewish girl. Man, this guy's a piece of shit. The Assman was captured by the Soviets and recruited as a KGB spy. I call horseshit on that. I believe the SS part, but Soviets weren't recruiting any SS members. They were fucking murdering them. Many of the conspiracies surrounding the Lake Bodum murders involves the Assman's possible association with the KGB and Finnish government, and their refusal to investigate Assman further for fear the Soviets would be upset on their findings. Retired detective Matty Polero believed that the Assman may have been involved in as many as five other homicides. And uh, this case is one of, if not the most famous murder case in Finnish history. Uh, finding information online or even a book about the Bodum murders in English is very difficult, and I really wanted to do more about it, but English-speaking researchers are at a severe disadvantage in researching this case if they are not fluent in fin the Finnish language. Important details involving the crime scene and some of the suspects have been lost in translation of Finnish news articles as well as primary documents essential to fully understanding the scope of the case. Uh, both of the, the uh, different sources that I used have done research on the Lake Bodum murders, and while they did an excellent job at going as in-depth into the case as the information available allowed, so many details are left unaccounted for, either due to poor investigative skills by authorities, poor translations, or a combination of the two that it makes it goddamn near impossible. The only facts surrounding this case that I could ascertain from my research is that the consensus that it will never be solved, and that's unfortunate because of the destruction of key evidence, which may have been preserved had the police not allowed the general public to insist in the to assist in the investigation it seemed to it that nobody's ever going to be convicted I think and with the case rapidly approaching 60 years of just useless effort it's highly unlikely that the perpetrators of this heinous crime will be alive to see justice served if nothing else this case exhibits a reminder as to what the police should not do ever in a murder investigation awful And that, unfortunately, is all the information that there is on the murder at Bodom Lake. 
Because if there was more, there would probably be a conviction. There would be a sentence. There would be somebody to blame it on other than the ever-elusive supposed spy known as the Ass Man. Although, I'm no expert, and I certainly didn't do enough research to fully get every angle of this case, but just based on what I know, I was leaning towards the boyfriend at first until I read that he was stabbed in the face and fucking had part of his skull crushed with a severe concussion, and I didn't think there was any possible way he could do it to himself. I'm going to lean along the uh, the lines of finding the ass man guilty, just because his stories never made any sense. And uh, he seemed, according to the police, he seemed erratic enough. By the, de- by the description of how they described his behavior, it seems like a disturbed SS guard. PTSD having Nazi motherfucker just stumbling around in the dark, misses the old days, all drunk for the Fuhrer, fucking stomps on a bunch of kids. It's far-fetched, but it's probably not as far-fetched as somebody crushing his own skull because he's jealous and then murdering his three best friends just to get rid of the evidence. I don't see it. I mean, in a movie, yeah, sure, I could see it, but I don't see an 18-year-old. Granted, it's happened before. 18-year-olds have done some awful shit, but in this case, he never left the country. He didn't flee. He didn't change his hair color. He didn't change his name. He... I feel like that sort of guilt would eat you alive, or it would at least manifest some other way, and I don't think it did in his case. But the kiosk man who drowned himself... That's disturbing. And the ass man. I'd, I'd rest with those two. Maybe it could have been a coalition force. Although the kiosk man makes a lot of sense too. Just angry, hateful, stumbles off, mad at his wife in the middle of the night, just pissed drunk and hates campers. Uh, there was this thread that I read too about how a lot of people hate free campers, which are uh, like the van traveling fuckers, the, the wanderlust guys. That's a poor description. The people that convert sprinter vans into tiny home type things and they travel the country just parking wherever they want uh, there's a huge problem in Finland I guess with those people they uh, um, they're universally hated unanimously hated I would say by a lot of the Finnish population because they shit where they park they fucking sleep wherever they park they don't pay camping fees so on and so forth so they're pretty uh, pretty frowned upon they're considered probably in a very they're looked at in a very similar light to how most Americans, I would say, look at homeless people that are messy, I guess. Uh, so it was this theory that I read on Reddit that there wasn't enough information to really put too much faith in. But it was suspected that the the kiosk man was a huge hater of those people because they didn't necessarily contribute to his income, which was selling shit to campers. And if they were not staying at campsites, not paying the camping fees. He wasn't getting uh, some sort of a paycheck as a result. So he stumbles out drunk, mad at his wife, steps in a fucking pile of camper shit, and then just starts stomping on people. I can see that a lot more than I can see uh, the kid fucking murdering his girlfriend and two of his best friends. I can see that a lot easier. But unfortunately for us, we will never know, as far as I can tell now. History has proven that the initial fucking four hours of an investigation can make or break a case entirely with how the police handle it. They never... Had they cordoned off the scene, they may have a fucking guilty party in prison. But since they didn't... Oh, well. Kind of reminds me of the Cabin 28 murders where um, 
It was just poor police work, almost negligent police work. Um, although I feel that the police department and Keddy behaved on a fucking criminal level. I don't think they did that here. I just think they were shocked since it's not used to uh, not used to that level of violence. They're not used to it in Finland. So I, I think it must have been shocking. Especially teenagers, too. It's a bunch of murdered kids. Like, I imagine if you've never been exposed to that sort of fucking brutal homicide, realistically, who has? Um, if you're a career detective, yeah, okay. If you're a veteran, unfortunately, you've been exposed to a lot of stuff like that, potentially. But fucking Dickwater Finland uh, campsite, I doubt the local police had been too well-versed in, you know, fucking child murderers. So I think shock and trying to find the guys as soon as possible by just show of force and marching the National Guard around, it was well-intentioned. I don't necessarily fault the police as much as a lot of people do in this investigation, but they did fuck it up massively. What trips me out, though, the most is that I wonder why he took what he took. Several articles, just random articles of clothing, the hidden shoes, the motorcycle keys. It seems like drunk behavior to me. Or um, behavior of somebody that was just outside of their fucking mind. Or someone that was trying to throw off the cops and was completely with it. Like Charlie Manson, after the uh, the Tate murder, when he went back to clean it up, he threw glasses on the ground just to try, to try to throw the police off. And it fucking worked. It confused them. They were looking for a man in glasses who was having a hard time seeing or something because the profile was fucking retarded. But if you're looking at a case completely stone cold, you're going to take everything that you see as fucking evidence. And if somebody was a KGB agent or an SS guard, they'd be pretty good at... I think, I imagine they'd be a little bit smarter than most people. So if they wanted to... Let's say that they're a little bit smarter than most people that can commit just a random act of violence like this. They'd uh, know that the police would be looking for something hide the shoes, they think that it's going to make it look like a crazy person did it, and they uh, steal like everybody's left sock just to make the person seem like he's unstable, and then they interview like a completely sane person if they're ever brought in as a suspect, doesn't make any sense. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense to the police. If I were a cop, I wouldn't find him guilty. It wouldn't fit the profile. That's why I believe in preemptive waterboarding. Just waterboard all the suspects until somebody tells you what you want to know. I'm kidding. I don't believe in that. That's uh, definitely against the Constitution and not what I support. Just making a funny joke. Again, as I've said before, my humor is not funny. That's why it's funny. To everyone, except to the people that it's not funny to. Well, this is a shorter episode, but on that note, I am out of information to discuss and I'm tired of hearing myself speak. So, thank you very much for tuning in. This has been another ad-free listening experience brought to you in part by support and by me so i want to thank you all for continuing to spread the word please continue to do so i am greatly appreciative whenever i see another city light up on the map next to another city that was previously illuminated thank you very much texas you're killing it thank you um, that's yeah, all, all the listeners in texas you guys are the best um, you guys are aggressively expanding this podcast the fastest let me say that and i appreciate it thank you very much el paso a lot of el paso listeners all the listeners everywhere else, all new listeners, thank you for tuning in. This will uh, 
only continue to improve with time, provided you guys accept and acknowledge my open-door policy, which you can give me advice and suggestions. You can, at this point, honestly, you can just suggest what you'd like to hear about, and I will do research enough material for me to cover it, I fucking will. I'm reasonable as shit, and I don't have sponsors telling me what to do. The Western Art, Billy Kid, and Jesse James and all that, those were suggestions, and I had a great time doing it. So if there are people that are outside of America that have local legends you'd like me to cover, be more than happy to research them, more than happy to look into it. Also, all the other listeners, American, North American, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can do so by going to Instagram.com, typing in Duke Landis 17, D-U-K-E-L-A-N-D-I-S-1-7, and I guarantee you I will be the first result. But please... Don't hesitate to send me a message. If you get some strange response, it's my page manager on Instagram, and they're fucking dumb. So I will find it eventually, and I will correct whatever stupid shit they sent you, because they've been doing that recently, and it's not cute. With that being said, though, thank you very much for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you. Talk to you soon, and in the meantime, stay spooky. Spooky.